What up, my homies? It's Lisa Bilyeu, and I've got a really, really hot and juicy episode of Women of Impact for you. And guys, you may want to leave the kids out of the room because we are answering all those questions about sex that you've been too embarrassed to ask, which let's face it, you shouldn't be, by the way. But sex is too often seen as a taboo subject. And I really, really want to change that. And so don't worry, I got you. I talk about all the embarrassing, the funny, the myths, the lies, And you won't believe the knowledge and compassion urologist and pelvic surgeon Dr. Rina Malik has. And she is spilling the tea on all the sex myths, lies and truths. Like masturbating will make you live longer, cum is actually good for you and sex cures headaches. Are those all real things or are they actually all lies? Well, Rina is also answering questions like, is it normal to not orgasm every time? How can I tell if he's faking an orgasm? Will socks actually make me climax faster? They are so bizarre. We go deep on all of that. And then we dive into the link between your overall health and your sexual health. We talk about what to do if your man has erectile dysfunction, because unfortunately, the poor guys sometimes do experience that. And finally, how your stress is messing with your pleasure. And, oh my God, that's just part one of part two of this episode, guys. So seriously, I've learned so much in talking to Dr. Rena about sex and the sexual health of women and men. And guys, knowledge is power. So without further ado, let's be more powerful with this episode of Women of Impact. Roughly 68% of women have faked an orgasm, but apparently, according to new studies, 31% of men fake orgasms. If you've slept with three guys, then the chances are a guy has actually faked an orgasm with you. Why the hell would a guy fake an orgasm? And then how do we actually tell that he's faking it? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions because we think men always want to have sex, men are always going to orgasm, they're always having pleasure, but it's not actually true. And so, you know, the studies will vary from a third of men to a quarter of men have faked an orgasm at some point. Now, they're not faking every orgasm, but ultimately, you know, men fake it for a whole variety of reasons, right? One, there's a small subset of men, like around 10% or less, that have delayed ejaculation. So it may take them a really long time, like over 30 minutes to achieve climax. And so they get frustrated and they just want to finish, right? And they just want to be done with the encounter because they're also starting to like lose enjoyment in the experience because they're getting frustrated by the fact that orgasm is not coming. Now, a bunch of men will have issues, right? They'll be like, oh man, I feel myself maybe losing the erection or I drank too much or I'm on certain medications that make it difficult for me to climax. And so they will to not make their partner feel bad, just like women do, right? Fake an orgasm because they don't want their partner to feel like they're not pleased. They're of course enjoying the encounter, but they're having some issue, whether it could be they have true erectile dysfunction or some other issue that's causing them to have difficulty achieving climax. And it doesn't mean they don't like you. It doesn't mean that they are not into the encounter. It just means that at that moment in time, they just couldn't perform like they wanted to. And I hate the word performance because you know, it makes it seem like men have to put on this show. And I think it adds a lot of stress for them. But really, that's what it is for a lot of men is they feel this stress, like they're about to go on stage, like they're about to perform. And so it can be very stressful. And so they will sometimes fake it. Now, to answer your second part in terms of like, how can you tell? Well, not all orgasms will lead to ejaculation. So there are two separate entities. And 
sometimes people can orgasm without ejaculation, or they can have an issue where their ejaculation is not coming out. A lot of diabetic men, men who've had prostate surgery will have retrograde ejaculation, meaning that the ejaculate will actually go upwards into the bladder. What? Yes. Yes. Instead of going outwards. So yeah, it can absolutely happen that way. And that again, doesn't mean they're not orgasming. It just means that they didn't ejaculate. So those things aside, what typically happens that we know consistently happens with orgasm is that your pelvic muscles will contract. At a rate of about 0.8 seconds, you'll have a pelvic floor contraction. So sometimes you'll feel that. Now, not always. Like you kind of know when you've had intercourse and like you feel that sort of movement in your own vagina, right? You feel those contractions. So men are having them too. And so that's really the only surefire way because that's involuntary, meaning you can't control it. It's going to happen when you orgasm, whether you want to or not. I think really the problem with society in general around the world is that we don't talk about sex, right? We don't talk about sex growing up. You don't have these conversations with your parents unless you're in a very progressive household. And then when you get in a relationship with someone, you don't talk about your insecurities with sex. Like we all have insecurities. There's not a single person out there who doesn't feel insecure when they're having sex, at least for the first time, right? Because you're extremely vulnerable. To have good sex, you have to be 100% vulnerable. And so you have to be able to talk about the things that make you nervous or anxious or stressed out because otherwise they're not going to let you enjoy fully the sexual encounter. And that's the real problem is that we don't talk about sex. We never talk to our partners about sex. So how can we know what they're going through? We've never talked about it, right? And so we're all in our own head like, oh, I feel this way. Maybe this isn't right for me or maybe something's wrong with me, but maybe your partner's going through something and they don't feel comfortable talking about it with you. So opening that dialogue can really overall make for better sex. Mm. And that's why I actually love so much what you're doing because you're bringing up things that people aren't talking about, but you're also bringing up things that no one has ever heard of before. (laughs) But there's a new study that came out. I don't know if you've heard about this, where it's like, actually, I'm going to read it to you. Women, if they wear socks, are more likely to orgasm. Mm -hmm. And so according to a Dutch study, while measuring orgasms, they found that many of their female participants were when uncomfortable due to cold feet. After they gave them socks, the percentage of those reaching orgasm went from 50% to 80% of women started to orgasm. Yes. So that study I've heard too. And it makes sense, right? If you're comfortable, like if the temperature in the room is good and you're not thinking about how cold you feel, you're more likely to orgasm. And the same thing for men, right? I think in general, like men may wear socks if they're feeling cold or it also helps them feel, it also helps, you know, you're not focusing the blood flow on the colder extremities, right? So it allows you to shunt more blood flow to the genitals and areas that need it. And so ultimately keeping the temperature in the room is is important, right? And whether that's wearing socks or not, like who cares? Like don't think about it. Like what you should be thinking about is the pleasure, not if your partner's wearing socks. Yeah, but that's what's what I found so fascinating, right? Is that you may just like visually go, oh my God, they're wearing the socks. Or as a woman, I'll be like, I, I can't be naked and then just wear fluffy socks. Like that would look <laughs> really, like I don't think that's sexy. But when I heard it, to your point, it didn't dawn on me in the guy thing with the blood flow, which mm-hmm. makes complete sense. So now, I'm going to tell my husband he can wear socks as long as he likes. (laughs) Um, But as a woman, 
when I think about it, as you explained it, of like how you're able to relax because you're not cold and because you're not tense and you're not shivering. And so, but like that one little thing that women can go from 50% orgasm to 80% just by wearing socks, it's a missed tactic that we're, you know, that we're not currently using. Yeah, I mean, temperature regulation is different in men and women, mm. right? And so we're more cold often than men. And so it makes sense that you would wear socks and and feel warmer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's it's like, why not? Why should we ever shame somebody for something that increases their pleasure? So if they are able to relax and be more mindful in the moment because they're not thinking about how cold they are, then they're going to have a better orgasm. Yeah, period. I love that. Okay, so apparently an apple a day can actually boost your sex um, excitement. So I'll read you the study and I'd love to know your thoughts. So researchers from Santa Clarita Regional Hospital in Italy recruited 731 premenopausal women between the age of 18 and 43, all of whom had no recent history of complaints of sexual disorder. The participants were split into two groups, apple eaters who ate one to two apples a day and non-apple eaters who ate less than an apple a day. Then all the women completed the female sexual function index questionnaire, which asks 19 questions about desire, arousal, lubrication, orgasm, satisfaction, and pain. And get this, women who ate one or more apples a day had higher sexual function scores, particularly in the lubrication and desire category. What the hell is going on? Do we all now need to stop eating like apples? No, I think you have to think about it in terms of the people who eat apples are probably more likely to have a more nutritious diet, right? Mm. So they're more likely getting vegetables and fruits in their diet and getting more unprocessed foods because you think about it, right? People who are eating an apple are not, are probably people who are health conscious, right? For the most part. Mm. And so they're probably eating less processed foods, getting more fruits and getting more vegetables than those who are not. Now, I'm not sure if they controlled for that in this study, but ultimately if they did control for all other factors of diet, which I find very difficult to believe because Mm -hmm. that would be like groundbreaking, right? Uh, Research if it was really just the apple. So I think ultimately it's probably just a reflection of their diet as a whole. And we know that people who have a Mediterranean diet, that's the best studied diet. Now, there's other diets that work for different people, but the one that's been most extensively studied is the Mediterranean diet. So lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, nuts and seeds and healthy oils, and then a little bit of meat and protein, whatever that is, fish, is essentially the best diet, least processed food as possible. um, And that actually improves a whole host of things in our bodies, heart health, sexual function because of heart health. So the important thing about our genitals is that they will reflect our overall health. So we sexual health doctors will say sexual health is health because very often when you have a problem with your sex life because you're not getting aroused or you're not getting lubricated or you're not having as much desire, it could be a harbinger of other things that are wrong in your body. So the most prominent example in men is erectile dysfunction. And that's because when men develop erectile dysfunction, the arteries to the penis are about one to two millimeters. When you look at the arteries to the heart, they're about three to four millimeters. So when you get plaques that block flow to the penis, they're going to be, you're going to see 
signs of that in the penis before you see heart problems. And so in men who are diagnosed with ED, about 15% of them seven years later will develop a heart attack. Whoa. Yeah. So similarly, other issues with your genitals, whether it's sexual function, are also very strongly correlated with your overall health. Mm, thank you for breaking that down. It's interesting how someone may take a piece of data and like, well, eat more apples and you know, mm -hmm. you'll be healthy. But to your point of the connection between the lifestyle and then how you show up every day and then your sexual health and then your longevity, like that's mm -hmm. just insane. Yeah. And understanding then, like you were saying, the arteries and not kind of blocking them. Um, is it true then that masturbation actually can help you live longer? The data is mostly on orgasms, right? How orgasms are beneficial overall mm -hmm. because orgasms will reduce stress. It will even reduce blood pressure, will improve your mood, will improve your focus. So the orgasms themselves are really powerful. Now, masturbation is sometimes the only way people can achieve orgasm. And it's the only way they may feel comfortable achieving orgasm or it's the only way that they can actually like because of safe sex the only way that they feel like okay I don't have to worry about having a partner and worrying about STDs and so that can play a huge role and masturbation for those reasons is very very powerful allowing you to one achieve orgasm but know your body and know exactly what turns you on what feels good what doesn't and so I think in those terms masturbation to achieve orgasm is really really powerful in terms of getting a longer life so where is the myth come from where it's like growing up, right? If you met, like I've just heard guys say, it's like, oh, I was told if I masturbate too much, my penis is going to fall off. Yeah, it's, well, a lot of it. So <laughs> if you look back to history, right, masturbation was considered very, very negatively. And in fact, like you would, you could be persecuted for masturbating or even getting erections that you weren't meant to. And again, this is all because the history books also favor male history, but they would like, because nocturnal erections were natural, people would actually make you wear like chastity sort of belts or things like that to avoid getting erections because they thought it was so bad and it was so sinful to masturbate. And so a lot of that has perpetuated through the years. And I think if you're using masturbation for the purposes of pleasure, for the purposes of enjoyment, and it's not taking over your life, meaning you don't prefer masturbation to your partner, you're not doing it every day to the point where you're missing work or you're missing hanging out with friends or doing other productive activities to masturbate, mm -hmm. then it's completely safe and healthy to go ahead and continue masturbating. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 
86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Um, and I'm not sure if it, this is a man's point of view, but apparently semen is good for you. So in terms of uh, like having sex or in terms of ingesting Ingesting semen? and swallowing. I was like, did a man make this up? <laughs> but um, apparently I read it's got like B12 and iron and magnesium. Sure, it has some minerals and it has fructose and it has sort of a whole host of factors in it. It's not dangerous by any means. Now it being healthy is, is sort of a stretch, right? I think healthy like is eating your fruits and vegetables regularly. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not like hurt you. It's certainly not going to hurt you and it's certainly not dangerous in any way. Okay. Because when I read about it again, I was like, I had like all these like minerals and I was like, <laughs> Is this actually true? Because I'm always the one, like, I don't try not to fight against facts. I'm just like, yeah. if this is fact, then maybe I need yeah. to be no, doing factually, it. But- yes, it has all these minerals, but it's not like the dose of it is like so high that like, oh, you can't get it from eating regular foods. And don't replace your supplements, the yeah. semen. Unless you want to. <laughs> Unless but- you want to, yeah. <laughs> But don't feel forced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I've got some fun facts for us, girl, and I want you to kind of break down, like almost like as I was finding them, I was like, why? Like, what is it? And so I love if you can explain these. Okay, sure. number one. And, and for everyone at home, you don't know what I'm about to say, so I'm literally going to throw them at you. Um, 84% of women say they have sex to get their husbands to help with housework. I believe that. A lot of people use sex as a tool to get what they want, which is so horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Like sex should be about pleasure, about being with your partner in intimate space. It's basically weaponizing sex, right? So I'm not surprised that people have this thing where they're like, oh, like sex is powerful, right? And the person who is the gatekeeper of sex holds the power. So very often women have lower desire than men. And that's not always true, but some that's more common. And so they become the gatekeepers because they only have sex when she wants to. And so she can weaponize that to get what she wants. And that actually sets you up for a really bad relationship dynamics, right? Because now sex is not about sex. It's about getting something Mm. and it's not really what it's meant for yeah when I I was like it didn't really surprise me either 
But to your point, it does make me, the the weaponizing was like when you said that is actually really strong. But then I can see the other side of it. It's like, it's, well, if they really want to. And it's like, you know, it's not a big deal right now. My husband is, you know, horny. And it's like, yeah, fine, I'll do it for them. You know, like it's almost like sometimes a nice gift to give someone. That's great. Gift is wonderful. Mm. And I think you can give gifts to your partner. Like it's okay if you're not always 100% in the mood. And women are more likely to have what's called responsive desire, right? So where they'll be with their partner, they may not be turned on right away, but as they start touching them, as they start being with them, like, oh yeah, I like that. And the desire comes afterwards. And so that's actually more common. And it's more common in long-term relationships for both genders, but very common in women. And that's not a bad thing. So like, yeah, sometimes when you start touching your partner or being with them, you may not be in the mood, but it sort of comes with a little bit of time. And gifting your partner sex is okay. Like, we shouldn't feel bad about it. It's totally fine to gift your partner sex, but, like, it shouldn't always be that way. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. It actually might need, as you were talking, I was like, it could be, like, a good catalyst for a woman Mm -hmm. for foreplay. Like, if the guy came home, guys, if you're listening, if a guy came (laughs) home and was like, baby, I'll do the dishes for you. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, ah, I feel seen. I feel heard, you know, and now it becomes a catalyst into potentially getting that arousal going. But I think part of it maybe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, of it's just alleviating a lot of stress. Uh-huh. And it's the stress that holds women back from being sexually aroused. That's exactly it. So that's exactly it. And we, you know, when you look at studies about women who fake orgasm, going again, full circle, a lot of them do it because they have a whole bunch of, like the reasons they can't orgasm are because of stress, because they're they're taking care of the home, they're taking care of the social calendar, they're taking care of work, they're taking care of um, kids if they have them, or the dog, or whatever, right? They're, they're the primary burdensome person in the household. And that's not always true. So I want to be careful because I get, a, you know, men are like, well, I do a lot too. And absolutely, there are p- plenty of households where it's 50-50. But even then, there's a lot of stressors in life. And so if you help with something you're not usually helping with, that can be very sexy for both ways, right? Like if I do something for my husband, like I sit and watch sports with him when I normally don't, that may be really like cool for him. It's like, oh, you're finally sharing something I love with me. And that may be a huge turn on. Or you help him with something. So maybe it's like you washed his car or you did something that he want, needed to do and you did. That could be a huge turn on. It doesn't mean to, need to be gendered. It's just about like doing something that alleviates stress, that makes you feel good and see your partner in like a different light, right? You're like, oh, that's novel. That's new. That's exciting. I love that. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. I'm having so much fun. Um, all right. 79% of men are growers while 21% are showers. Yes. So this is true. Men will grow or show and that can change over a lifetime. So what that means is that when you get an erection, some people will have a quite a quite a big increase in length, whereas some will not. And they will just remain sort of similar to their flaccid size. Now, that is sort of a reflection of collagen content and a variety of different things. Normally, younger guys are more likely to be growers and that can change over a lifetime because as you age, your tissues become less elastic. But it's not good or bad or one thing or the other. It just is what it is. And sort of like um, you can't force yourself to be one or the other, but just again, maintaining a healthy lifestyle will improve your tissue elasticity overall and make sure that you maintain that good full length. So a lot of um, 
in general, a lot of times, you know, we know that erectile dysfunction is really, really common. And over the age of 50, you're got half of men are having issues with erections. And the most common cause is other health issues, right? So high blood pressure, diabetes, um, high cholesterol, all those things will affect blood flow. And when you get less erections, you're also getting over time changing the content quality of the tissue. So there's maybe more scar tissue and it's not going to expand as much. It's not going to get as long. And so just in general, trying to stay healthy early, don't get diabetes, don't get high blood pressure, keep a good diet, continue exercising. It's going to make sure that you maintain what you got. Yeah, I had no idea. And again, I just find this stuff fascinating. Understanding men and understand how they function and understanding when they get over to 50, like that is so important, I think, for us women to also know. It's very important for us to know ourselves, but also know... Um, and anticipate because if you don't have a penis, you don't necessarily know, let's face it, right? Mm -hmm. And people aren't talking about this sort of thing. So thank you. That knowledge is very powerful. Yeah. 45% of women climax the first time they have sex with a male partner. But 95% of women climax when they have sex with a woman for the first time. Yes. So this is called the orgasm gap. And actually, it was, I thought you were going to say is 95% of men climax on the first sexual mm. encounter, which is also true. And this is obviously a, a disparate uh, in in understanding female anatomy, right? As we talked about earlier, clitoral stimulation is the way 85% of women climax. And even if you look at that other like 5 to 10% of that that 15%, a lot of them are having penetration, but they're also having clitoral stimulation at the same time. So almost like the majority of women need clitoral stimulation to climax. But when you watch uh, media or you watch erotic films or whatever, you're not seeing clitoral stimulation. And that's how the majority of men are learning. And again, we're being very gendered here. Men are learning how to please a woman, whereas women learn how to please women by pleasing themselves. Mm. And so it's really just a lack of understanding and a lack of displaying of what normal sexual encounters are like throughout media and where people are learning from. So I wish that we taught people about their anatomy in school, right? But there's, there, there's no time for that in the current curriculum, right? So people don't leave school knowing their body parts, particularly their genital anatomy. They don't understand what normal is. So like, what's, how many times should you get, like, how long should sex last? How long does it take for someone to get turned on? How long does it take for, um, how does someone actually reach climax? What are the things you need to do? And we don't teach people that. And that leads to so much insecurity and discomfort with sex and having bad sexual encounters and then feeling like something's wrong with you and then having shame. And then it just like perpetuates over and over, right? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Like if you just, if you're a guy and you just watch porn, let's say, it's like you think, oh, a woman wants me to always be aggressive, to rip their clothes off, to turn them on their, you know, on their mm -hmm. front and just pound them. It's like, no, no. I mean, some women may, no shame or judgment, you know, right. good for you. But to your point is that if we've learned our bodies, because when I read that, I was like, have lesbians got it down? <laughs> like, like, we need more lesbian advice then. But you're right. It's that we know our body ourselves. And so we understand it. And so how would we then encourage guys to start to learn? Like, what would be that mechanism to help men understand us more? Because I don't just want to blame men and say, guys have to go do their research. Yes, guys really should. But if you're in a relationship, how do you navigate 
having your guy start to learn these types of things about your body. Yeah. Well, I think one thing I want to mention is that when you have two people of the same gender in a room, they have to talk. They have no choice because the roles are not defined, right? You don't know who's going to be doing the pleasing, who's going to be receiving the pleasing. So you have to discuss with each other what you're going to do and also what you like. And so it's as simple as having the conversation about like, hey, I like this. And the one thing is that women need foreplay. We It takes longer for women's bodies to lubricate and be fully aroused. So I can't tell you the number number of times I've talked to women who come in with painful sex and I say, one, take more time with foreplay and two, add lubricant because some people will make more lubricant than others. And it's not a reflection of how turned on you are. It may be just in the matter of your hormones, your genetics, whatever, or the medications you're on. And so ultimately, lube is not something to be ashamed of. It can just make it more fun. And same thing is like, you just have to like talk to them. Like, it really makes me feel good when you do this first. And if you have a good partner, they're going to pick up on that, right? And they're going to do those things. And so really just make it about like, this is what I like. And try to have that conversation well in advance or away from the bedroom. So it's like we're in the kitchen or we're in the car or we're somewhere where it's not sexual. So we can have this conversation in a non-confrontational way where the person's not like, oh, am I not good enough? Did I not do it right? Did I not, like not right after sex, right? Like <laughs> wait, wait a little bit and have the conversation and realize it may take a few conversations. It may not just be one. And that's okay because it's worth working for. Yeah. Even that little nuance that you said, it was like, don't go in there saying, don't do this. Go in there saying that this makes me feel good. I think is so important because natural instinct is to say like, hey, can you not do that? Because it feels a little, you know, whatever. But being the like, hey, this really turns me on, I think would help that dynamic and encourage the guy to be even more excited. Obviously, if we're talking about, you know, heterosexual relationships, yeah. it would encourage the guy to do it more. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I've also heard you say when you're having sex with a guy, if he can't keep hard, mm -hmm. don't ask them, why can't they stay hard? Yes. Just keep going. Like, meaning like if they say stop, then that's okay. Or you could say, Hey, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Like, let's just keep having fun. It doesn't have to be like, okay, so fine. They can't penetrate me, but there's other things you can do. You can still pleasure them. They can still pleasure you and they can still orgasm without an erection, even though it's hard for them because they don't mentally think of that as, as being like, able to do, right? They always, um, they've sort of made this brain pathway where erection leads to orgasm. And so when the erection goes away, it becomes much more difficult because they have that association, but they can orgasm without an erection and they can still pleasure you. So trying to not make it about you and let them sort of like, it's okay. It's totally okay. Like if they react, like it's okay. I'm still having fun. Like we can keep going. And if they want to, great. And if they don't, give them their respect. But don't be like, oh, did I do something? Do you hate me? Like, like don't do that because that's just going to kill the mood. They're going to get more anxiety about mm. it. And they're going to bring that to their next sexual encounter, which is going to make it, even if they could get an erection, they can't now because they're super stressed about it. Yeah. When I heard you say that, it's like, I can see both sides, right? It's like the woman may, maybe really wants to know, like, oh my God, is everything okay? Yeah. You know, is it something Wrong because women are caretakers and we're people pleasers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of then kicks in. But to your point that then that's now potentially activating the guy and actually making it worse for them because now they probably have the shame and the guilt. And it's like, oh my God, now she's asking me. I don't know what to say because yeah. I can't even explain it. Yes. And I will tell you, there's so many people where I... I see a lot of men with erectile dysfunction and I will be like, have you talked to your partner? Does she even 
mind because we know that so many women in terms of pleasure get orgasms through clitoral stimulation, which doesn't require penetration, right? And so, so many women like don't need to have a penetrative, they, they don't need to have sex with a penetrative anything Mm -hmm. to orgasm. And while some people do enjoy orgasm with penetration, that's not necessary for the large majority of women. And so if they don't care, then if they're still enjoying themselves, then if it's for you, great. But if you're doing it for your partner, you have to ask them and, and find out if that's even an issue for them. Because you know, what's medication is one thing, but then adding on, you can, you know, inject your penis, you can do surgeries. Like, are you really going to have a surgery if your partner doesn't care? Mm. You know? And so I think it's important to have those discussions. I think in those moments that as a woman, I'm just speaking for myself, actually, is that I just like, my confidence starts to dip. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh God, am I not sexy enough, right? And we get in our own heads. And so you try to then get rationalized to get an answer. And I think that that's why you then automatically may ask to try and get the answer. But I love that you've broken that down and like really helping us understand um, what's going to enhance the sexual pleasure and actually what's going to hinder it. I think you can also look at it from your perspective. If you do an orgasm once and your partner's like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Is it okay? Like, did you, you know, you are going to start being like, oh man, is something wrong with me? Why didn't I orgasm that one time? And it's like, it's normal. You're going to orgasm. Sometimes you may not. That's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Yes, we want to orgasm every time, but the point is pleasure, right? Enjoy the journey. Don't just hurry up to get to the destination. Think about if you would like that. Like, would you want your, yeah, of course you want your partner to care, but you don't want them to be like over the top, like, oh my God, you can't orgasm anymore. You're broken. Like, like something's wrong with you, right? Because that's what they're feeling. They're feeling like something's wrong with me. I can't get an erection. They're not thinking it's you. They're worried about themselves. And you similarly, they may just be worried that they're not stimulating you well enough, but you may take it as like, man, I used to be able to orgasm so quickly and now I'm taking longer. Like what's wrong with me? Mm, so true. And now go full circle. Even when we first started, is like, that's probably what sometimes then leads to men and women faking it because they're so worried about having that conversation about bringing it up, about feeling the shame and the guilt. And so actually in the moment, it's just easier just to fake it, move on. You don't think about it next yeah. time. And they feel good. And everyone feels right. Everyone, everyone feels, feels good. good. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Everyone thinks everybody was pleased, but it really hurts the relationship, yeah. right? Because people change over a lifetime. Like we know that sensation goes down, that things change. And during menopause, women notably have a decrease in ability to achieve climax, sometimes for a lot of women. And that, you know, we know these things happen. And the point is like, okay, so what if things change? Things change and we can work together to figure out what is going to get you to orgasm. But again, that's not the goal. The goal is to enjoy pleasure. We don't want to spend the whole time when we're with our partner thinking about, am I going to come? Am I going to orgasm? Am I going to climax? I don't know. Right. And so that's sort of like the big thing. You want to enjoy the pleasure. And of course, orgasm is great. I have no, like orgasms are wonderful, but like, okay, so maybe that's not working anymore. Maybe you need to bring a toy in the bedroom or maybe you need to do something else or try a different way. That doesn't mean you're broken or something's wrong. It just means that you got to talk about it and be open to trying new things. Hell yeah. Amen, sister. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 50 to 75% of women who have had an orgasm require clitoral stimulation. Most women are unable to have an orgasm through intercourse. So you kind of, you know, you said that earlier. Yeah. 
Is it possible if you've only orgasmed through clitoral, is it possible to train yourself to orgasm through penetration or is it a genetic thing and you either have it or you don't? Um, or is this, I just need to keep training like I do in the gym? <laughs> yes. So basically, I mean, sex is a skill. So in general, you can always train to be better, but, um, but that doesn't mean you should have sex unsafe, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah sure. Of course. <laughs> so, um, so the clitoris, if you think about the anatomy, it has a shaft and then it gets a wishbone and it sh goes around the vagina. And so they've actually shown that people who have a smaller distance between the clitoris and the vagina will actually be more likely to orgasm through vaginal penetration. Whoa. So the less space, the more likely. Because the clitoris is Why? now closer. Yeah, that, yeah. And so that's something you can't necessarily overcome, but you can try different ways to stimulate vaginally, right? So maybe it's like you need um, stimulation of the anterior wall of the vagina. That's why people talk about the G-spot, mm -hmm. which is actually an erogenous zone where there's lots of nerves underneath the like two-thirds of the vagina. Um, that's where the skein's glands on are, and there's lots of nerves there. But essentially you can try to stimulate kind of more anterior or like on the sides or the walls where the clitoris, the, the legs of the clitoris are. And so you can sort of experiment with like, oh, does this position maybe hit that spot a little more or this one that way? And some people are just like more likely to orgasm through vaginal penetration because the cervix is more sensitive. So they're, um, you know, when, when they feel that, 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 um, stimulation of their, of their cervix, they're actually, you know, getting that those, nerves are getting turned on and they're feeling more pleasure and they mm. can then climax that way. Mm. And so really, I think the big thing is like one, finding out what feels pleasurable and then being able to really focus in on it and allow yourself to feel that pleasure can allow you to orgasm in different ways, whether it's penetrative or not. Some people will climax through just like nipple stimulation, right? Or different erogenous zones. And so it's all about sort of allowing yourself to feel pleasure and really like letting your body kind of go into it. So does it make a difference then on the guy's size and girth? Because you know, you always, guys have a almost like, there's like, if they've hit the woman's G spot, right? They feel mm. proud. It's like they've conquered something. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like when I think about it, would it make a difference then based on the distance between your clit and your vagina and then the guy's size, length, and girth. Does any of that correlate? It could, right? For some women, who, particularly if you have cerv uh, cervical innervation that's really pleasurable, they may find a larger penis to be more pleasurable. But some people actually have pain, mm -hmm. right? If you penetrate them and you hit their cervix, that can actually be very, very painful. So it really depends person to person. But the interesting point is that the vaginal length is about three inches or so. And it can about double in size when you're aroused. So you can accommodate. What? Yes. What? Honey? <laughs> what? So the vagina doubles in length and width when you are aroused, as you're getting aroused. When that kind of get, but length? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your cervix actually moves up and out of the way and it allows for penetration. And so that's why it's so important to have good foreplay to allow that accommodation so that she will feel comfortable when you penetrate her. And like, it's super important to make sure you're getting enough arousal for your body to be ready to achieve or uh, allow that penetration. I'm like so upset <laughs> right now. I'm not, like again, with I kind of get. Yeah. Because you think, oh, well, you've got to push a baby out. You're, you have to be yeah. flexible, right? right. Women have to right. have the adaptability. But the length thing, and then to your point of the arousal, is that then if you arouse them first, then the, the, that has gotten deeper, then mm -hmm. length has changed. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. But that does mean that, you know, if you're above maybe five or six inches, the average is about 5.1 to 5.6 inches in terms of erect length. If you're much bigger than that, it's probably going to be too big. You're not going to be able to put the entire shaft into the vagina. Now, of course, there's variation person to person. Someone may have a longer vaginal length. Someone may have a shorter vaginal length. And so sort of like every person's a little different, but you know, a 12 inch phallus is probably too big for the large majority of women. Yeah, I'm going to jump to a myth actually have and I'm just going to squeeze it in here is that the myth of that like the long, the long, the bigger they are the better. Mhm. Yes, and the funny thing is it's really um societal, right? We talk about it all the time, women joke about it, it's on the media, the bigger the better, and oh if you have a small phallus, oh god, like poor you, right? And and it's so sad because really it's not even that important. It's important to have a baby, right? You need to penetrate and, and deliver sperm to have a baby. But for pleasure, there's so many ways to achieve pleasure and climax that like the phallus is important, but it's really not the most important thing at all. The most important thing is knowing how your partner achieves climax and stimulating them appropriately. And you don't need a phallus for that. And there's so much technology, right? People will say like, oh, I don't want to use a sex toy. I don't want to use this, but you use a microwave to warm up your food. <laughs> so like, you know, you're not making a fire by yourself to warm up your food. Like it's okay to like use tools to help you achieve climax or help your partner achieve climax. That's so good. I'm so going to steal that from you. That's amazing. Um, is there a range then where you're like, okay, look, yeah, because I hear what you're saying. It all depends on the person and the guy and the woman, and, you know, or totally get. But is there a range where like, okay, yes, that is a little small. Like I feel compassion, but like micro penises. Yes, micro penises are ones that are like less than uh, like two inches or like one and a half inches. So they're 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 significantly smaller. This is like a a real physiologic problem that you can get surgery for to correct. But again, not necessary, but more so like a, a real issue that people face. And so it's a small subset of patients. It's not a huge number mm. of people that have that problem. Now, in terms of, you know, what size is optimal, they've actually, so because of transgender research, they've looked at when they're building these new penises for, mm. for people who are transgender, they've looked at what's the best size, like how long should it be and how girthy should it be? And so the way they kind of, there was one story that looked at sex toys. So like what size sex toy do people buy? And on average, the length of the sex toy was about six inches. Now, thinking about that, you're not putting the entire sex toy into the vagina, right? You're holding it with some sort of, you know, at the end or mm -hmm. something. So it's not going to be exact. So that's about the average, right? The average is about 5.1 to 5.6 inches. And so it's about the average. And the girth also that they, the most bought sex toys was also very similar to average girth. And so generally speaking, like people are happy and pleased with average length and average girth. And it's just more like of an e guy's ego then, where it's like they think that we women want bigger the better. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about it, right? We may not even want it, right? Like people, like I caught myself once. I was on a podcast and this woman was talking about how her partner was really well. And I was like, oh, wow, you're so lucky. And then I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that, right? And I was like, I don't even mean that. It just came out. Like I didn't even, it was not even intentional. It was just like society's ingrained it in my brain. And even as a urologist, I talk about, 
about this all the time. It's still there in my brain because I've literally been watching TV and hearing about jokes and other women talk about this for my entire life, right? And so you have to sort of think about that. Like every single person is hearing this, man, woman, child, everyone's hearing about it, right? And so you're like, oh, obviously bigger is better. We talk about, we joke about it all the time. That's so true. I love that you just admitted that as well. <laughs> I will admit it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> 